My gosh. Seemed like a good idea at the time to volunteer for that. That was brutal. Right, anyways, how's everyone doing today? Can't try that again. How's everyone doing today? You can talk back. Have you got my phone, Caleb? Mom's got it. It's funny, isn't it, when you've got kids and you don't know where your phone is, you just call one of them out, because generally one of them has run off with my phone. Uh, anyways, how are people doing today? You're doing well. You're doing well. Some of you are doing terrible. I heard someone say terrible. That sucks. I'm so sorry that it's terrible. But it's good to have you here and believe that as God speaks to you, that things may get less terrible. Um, you know, as I was uh, preparing this week, um, seeking the Lord, really, and we do do that. We don't just kind of, you know, just go eeny, meeny, miny, mo and flip the Bible pages and just go, what should we preach on? Bang! Okay, the judgment of God. You know, we don't do that. We kind of seek the Lord and say, God, what is it that you're wanting to say to us? And we have a series that we call The Way, but every week we're kind of waiting on the Lord to say, God, what might you want to say unique this week that maybe hasn't been said or that you want to reaffirm? And uh, it was challenging this week because... I was just really struggling to get inspiration for what maybe uh, God wanted to bring to you guys. And um, it's kind of horrible when that happens because you're thinking there's going to be a number of people in the room hoping that you know what you're doing. And um, it's difficult and it's not my preferred way of approaching a message. Uh, but I sat down on Friday afternoon in the end because I thought, right, I need to do something. And to be honest, I really felt like God was just saying, like, don't move on from what we were talking about last week. And... Um, there's maybe a number of reasons, maybe because I don't feel like I necessarily conveyed everything I wanted to convey. I feel like we got a bit stuck on certain parts of the message, and maybe some people left more confused than when they came in. I don't know. I haven't heard that, but you guys are nice people, so you haven't told me that. Um, but, you know, I was just thinking that maybe God wants to just do a bit more work in this area um, of overcoming sin. And uh, before I get going, I just want to apologize to Benjamin for last week. Ben, for those of you who were here, you know, really risked it for a biscuit, my gosh. But when I watched it back, I was like, that is so scary. What on earth was I thinking? So he was running around with a chair around his neck, and it was petrifying. So I'm sorry, okay? I should not have let that happen. I apologize. I should have definitely put it around Danny's neck instead. Um, so I apologize if you kind of, I literally, I woke up one night in the week, and I thought, oh, that could have been so bad. Like what was started off as a message talking about the race of life could have ended up like as a resurrection kind of case study where we have to lay hands on Benjamin. Um, and so that was pretty petrifying. Um, but yeah, let's get into this because uh, last week I spoke about the metaphor of the race, that we have a race to run. And that this is what Paul uh, tells us. Sorry, no, Hebrews tells us. I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Maybe you don't agree with that. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. But my suspicion is poor, but maybe not. Um, but in Hebrews 12, it says, let us run the race marked out for us. There's a race for us, individually, a race, a purpose that God has called us to, that he wants us to run, um, the race of life. And it's not just a race of success. It's not just a race of uh, getting more wealth. And it's not just a race of getting great relationships. It's a race after the, the race after the purposes of God. It's the pursuit of the presence of God. It's a pursuit of seeing his kingdom established on earth as it is in heaven. That's the race. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. And he says, and, you know, throw off those things that, that slow you down, that hinder you in your race. And he talks about sin, the sin that so easily entangles. It's like, as you go through life, there are snares, there are traps. That there are like, if you, if, you, if you want, like, just imagine loads of ropes and kind of cords that are just 
in your way, obstructing your, your momentum, obstructing your growth. And it, it's sinfulness. And um, I talked about the many um, words in Greek that are in the New Testament for sin. But the one that is used the most is harmatia, which means to miss the mark. Like there is this God's preferred target that he wants you to hit in life. And what sin does is it causes us, just imagine like a bow and arrow, causes us as we fire it to kind of just miss, miss, just get off target. So it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how polite you are or how kind you are. Because actually all of us, the Bible tells us, have fallen short of the mark of God, of the standard of God. Like, now that may be offensive for you, and if it is, good. I hope it does offend you in some way, because, uh, you know, as I was saying, I think last week, I don't know, it was a church at Fire Mountain, that if it doesn't have the power to offend you, it doesn't have the power to change you. Okay, so some of you need to be provoked out of your apathy, out of your sleep, because on your own merit, you fall woefully short of God's standard. God has this target saying, hey, Dom, you know, this is where I want you to hit. And I can try all day long and I can try to do some self-help and some life coach. And, you know, can I just do a little bit better? But outside of Jesus, it's all futile. Outside of Jesus, I'm just a man with a bow and arrow, just like blindly firing it into the dark, unable to hit the mark that God wants me to hit. And so it's a challenge because this is why Jesus came. Jesus came and died on the cross. Why? Because actually... Uh, we are inherently sinful, which means as soon as we take our first, first breath out of the womb, as soon as we cry, wah, that was a rubbish cry, wasn't it? But as soon as we kind of just break that moment into existence outside the womb, obviously we existed before we came out, but that moment when we take our first breath, we are already born sinful. You're like, well, how can a baby be sinful? Well, because he's really the seed of Adam. And every man has fallen short of the glory of God. So what we need is we need transformation. And I'm not just talking about visual transformation. I'm not just talking about behavior modification. I'm not just talking like Jesus makes me a little bit better. Like Jesus takes the edge off my anger. I'm talking about Jesus actually transforms me on the inside. That actually before Jesus, I was a, a sinner trying to do the right thing. But in Christ, I'm now fully redeemed. I'm a saint who sometimes does the wrong thing. <laughs> and there is a difference. Because it speaks to your identity. It speaks to who you are. And so if we can just humble ourselves and go, yeah, I suck. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I, like, literally, Lord, I've tried and I give up. Like that, that is the gospel moment where you come to the cross. That's the point of salvation where you acknowledge that you can't hit the standard. And it, it really doesn't matter whether you are Hitler, obviously preferably not. <laughs> I prefer it if you weren't like Hitler. <laughs> you know, that wouldn't be great. You know, you guys can chill out. It is funny. That is funny. Yeah. Don't be like Hitler. That's the message title for today. Don't be like Hitler. Okay. And it doesn't matter if you're like Mother Teresa. It doesn't really matter whether, well, obviously it matters like on an earthly level. I'm getting caught up here. But you know what I'm saying? Like, one that we would say, oh, he's bad and she's great. No, outside of Christ, they both need salvation. They both need help. That's why it's so awesome that like in the church of Jesus Christ, you have people who have uh, been gloriously reached out of a life of addiction and drugs or whatever it may be. It's glorious. The testimony is amazing. And they can be standing right next alongside to somebody worshiping who was saved out of a lovely Christian family. And they're the same. 
Because as we come to Jesus, what we're doing is we're acknowledging it doesn't matter how far I've gone like wild in my life, we both need Jesus. And so both testimonies are glorious. But make no mistake about it, we are born sinful. We need help. And so Jesus came to nullify the power of sin in our life. That when we put our confidence in him, and the reason we do that is because he lived the perfect life. He hit the standard that you couldn't hit. He hit the mark that you weren't able to hit. Jesus lived the perfect life. So often we talk about his death, but his life is just as important. Jesus lived a life without sin. And it's hard because like, you know, he he grew up in a normal family. So he had a brother called James. Imagine being Jesus' brother. Do you know what I mean? I feel like you guys are a bit of a tough crowd today. I'm not going to lie. I feel like, I don't know, you just, I'm not laughing at that. I'm not giving you the pity of my laugh. It's okay. Like imagine being James at the dinner table who says something slightly inappropriate. And Mary's like, James, be more like your brother. You're like, what? He's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. How can I live up to that standard? But Jesus grew up in a normal context. Jesus grew up in society. He didn't, wasn't raised in a cave. Like most likely he worked as a carpenter in the trade. For 30 years he lived as a normal guy. Obviously he was the savior, but like we read in the scriptures that he's able to kind of empathize with us as a high priest. Why? Because he was tempted like we're tempted. Yet he did not sin. So he wasn't exempt from the challenges of life. He wasn't exempt from the hardships. He faced You know, all of the common sins to us, like we're talking in general terms, money, sex, power, those things. He faced all of those things, yet he did not sin. And because of his perfect life, it meant that he could die a death that no one else could die. And so this morning, that's why we sing songs about Jesus, because we understand that without him, we have nothing and we are nothing. And maybe you're sitting there saying, Dom, this is the gospel. We know this. We've known this for years. Well, I don't care. I'm preaching it anyway. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And salvation isn't just a case of, I was going to hell, now I'm going to heaven. Salvation should affect you Monday morning. It's not just like a get out of hell free card. I'm now saved, hallelujah. I can carry on doing whatever I want. Salvation should affect our behaviors. So our behavior is modified because we're saved. We don't modify our behavior to get saved. Do you understand? So this salvation we talk about and we read about in the scriptures is one that should affect us holistically. This gospel truth, it shouldn't just affect your Sunday morning schedule. It should affect the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband, the way you relate to your parents, the way you work, the way you do your taxes, Anthony. You know, all of these things, (laughs) all of these things should be affected by salvation. Like, it's this moment, like, let the redeemed say so. Well, how do we say so? By our behaviors, by our lifestyle, by our decisions, by our choices. That's what separates us from the world. That's what separates us. That's the thing that separates you between your colleague, friend at work, who's a nice person but doesn't know Jesus. There is another level to the integrity that you possess and express. There's another level to the humility you demonstrate. There's another level to your work ethic. Like this is the difference between you and your workmate who, whose marriage is going Pete Tong because of how they speak to their wife. This is the difference. Salvation. 
Like, I'm now saved, and now I lived like the redeemed. I make decisions. I speak words of life. I build. I don't destroy. I construct, not deconstruct. I bless. I don't take. I give. There's something different. This is the way of the Savior, the way, the truth, and the life. This is what it is. This is what it means to be saved. Not just to come to church on a Sunday morning and sing a song and think like, tick, that's my saved bit done. It's actually, all right, this is part of our expression of being saved. But this is only a part of it. This is our corporateness of it. This is our togetherness of it. But when we go home later, it's actually how do I raise my kids? Like literally thinking that. Am I going to allow YouTube to disciple them? Am I going to allow social media to shape them? Or am I going to take responsibility and live like the saved? Amen? Okay, right. Well, let's get into it. Because what I've just pitched to you is what we want to pursue. That's what I want to pursue. It's really what I want. I'm praying to that end. Lord, make your church more holy. God, just move in us. Like, put aside in us those things that are still carnal and fleshly. And those things that don't align to your purposes. And I'm praying that for myself. And it gets uncomfortable at times, especially when you start talking to your wife about them. But let's get to Romans 7, right? Because Paul says this thing, which I think is really helpful. Paul, who uh, is an apostle, and what does that mean? He's a key leader in the early church. His responsibility is pioneering the work of God across Europe, and his uh, responsibility is growing leaders in the local churches. So he was a strategic instrument in the early church. He was an important person in the early church, and uh, he wrote like a third of the New Testament through the letters that he penned himself and sent to churches like in Rome and Ephesus and all these places in Philippi. And so even this passage that we're reading, Paul has written, and this guy is fully redeemed. This guy is the real deal. This guy would make tents Monday to Friday so that he could serve the purposes of God all through the week. This guy was the real deal. And yet we read this. This is brilliant. Listen, Romans 7, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. <laughs> I find that so liberating. What do you mean you don't understand what you do? Of course you understand what you do, Paul. Like you're fully responsible. You're fully inspired. You're fully redeemed. But listen, let's read on. He says, do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. <laughs> he says, but what I hate, I do. He says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. What does he mean by that? That like, the law presents a standard of God. So let me read that again. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. That's mental. Verse 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do this, I keep on doing. <laughs> Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, <laughs> but it is sin living. It's funny, isn't it? All these do-dos in the word, right? 
Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Paul is like racking his brains. It's like so annoying that like there's a way I want to live, but I keep doing this. There's things that I want to do, but what I keep doing is the stuff I don't want to do. In fact, the stuff I don't want to do, I keep on doing, which means I'm not doing the stuff I do want to do. <laughs> I'm getting really confused in my own head now as to where this goes. But there's just this sense of Paul's heartbreaking, just like, like I don't want to be living this life. In fact, he goes on in verse 24. Well, yeah, listen, in verse 24, he says, What a wretched man I am. No, Paul, you're one of the best. You're like one of the poster boys of the scriptures. Like, Paul, you're the real deal. Like, literally, Paul, you're responsible for all these churches. Paul, you're responsible for all these scriptures. But yet you say you're a wretched man. Like, Paul, in this moment, just acknowledges his need for something more than the law in order to be transformed. But what I love, he says this in verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Wow. This is really significant. Paul is essentially saying, that part of me that sins, that's not me. Almost, if you like, sounds like a blag, doesn't it? That wasn't me. No, no, that's not me. What, just slapped you in the face? No, that wasn't me. That was a sinful part of me. <laughs> I just stole your card. No, that wasn't me. That was the sin living in me. But what Paul is essentially doing is he's saying that there's like this parasite called sin in our life. And it's like a cancer. And if you had a brain tumor, you wouldn't say, well, you're a brain tumor. You know, if you had rabies, I'm trying to think of things, I don't know, rabies, you wouldn't say, well, the essence of your life, you're rabies. No, you say you've got rabies, but you're a human being. In the same way, Paul is saying that like, when I do the stuff I don't want to do, it's not really me doing it. Now, why is he saying that? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, this is Paul's revelation. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. They are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. So, so Paul is understanding his situation, his circumstances through this lens that like, I'm not a sinner who does good, I'm a fully redeemed person who still makes mistakes. And so therefore, it's not me doing it, it's the sin at work within me. And to be honest, I find this quite encouraging as a pastor. Because even now, I feel like, and maybe you can relate to this, where Jesus says, the road to life is narrow and the road to destruction is broad. In other words, if you want to live for Christ, actually, the, the way is narrow. And my experience of life, after you go, when you go after Jesus, is that it, it actually gets narrower. Let me try and help you with that. Like, and I've said this before, but it's important that you understand. Mindsets that you had two years ago, when you press on in God, become unacceptable now to God. 
habits that you had that you weren't feeling a conviction about. As you are pursuing God, you're now feeling a heavy, weighty conviction. Why? Because the path of Christ, I believe, gets narrower. So, so here's, a, here's a health check for you. If you feel like you are getting more liberal in your attitudes and more wild in your lifestyle, you may be going backwards the wrong way. Because the path of holiness and righteousness and Christ-likeness is one that constricts and gets narrower. Like I'm even finding that now. It was, it's a horrible thing because I, I was talking to Louise about it yesterday. This attitude and this mindset that I just have in my head. And like I just feel like, oh, Lord, I want to be free from that. But like, praise be to God, like this time last year, it would have just gone right under the radar. But now I understand that like what God wants me to do today, I can't take this baggage with me. Like in order to live in the purposes of God in 2022, 2021 Dom isn't fit for it. So, so I have to be really analytical and go, Lord, what is it you're saying? And so I want to talk about these three things. I've got 15 minutes to do three things. And... Um, these three things, what I hope we'll do is, um, as we've heard, not cast judgment on you if you are in a sinful cycle, and an, habit, an habitual sin cycle. Um, what I hope these will do will speak to you conquering sin day to day. Okay, because actually often, listen to this, our intentions are right, but our strategy is wrong. Because we don't always know how do, we, how do we break the back of that sin in our life. And sin, you know, often when we think of sin, maybe you think of really bad things. Maybe you think, well, I don't murder anyone or I don't do this. But listen, you can be sinful just in the way you think about someone. You can be sinful in the way that you think about money and wealth. You can be sinful with the things you look at that you shouldn't be looking at. All these sorts of things. And so three strategies. And the first one is this is I was expected to come on the screen, but it won't because Richard has no idea what I want to say. The first one is this. Look at the screen. It's not going to be there. It's we need revelation. We actually need revelation. What, what does that mean? It means we need the perspective of God. Like earth moves within the restraints of information. The world is what we, it's we trade information. That's what people work with. Give me information. I need information. I need information. But in the kingdom of God, information falls short. Because what we need is God's perspective. And that can't be downloaded through information. It comes through revelation. So it's a revealed truth about who God is. And not just that. It's a revealed truth about who you are. In light of who God is. It's like in Matthew 16 where Jesus says, like, who are people, telling, who, who are people saying that I am? And the disciples, some say you're John the Baptist and all this kind of stuff. And then he turns to the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, blessed are you, Simon Peter. Why? Because you weren't told this by man. This was revealed to you by my father. Peter's life was, in this moment, was operating under the revelation that people didn't have. And that's how we should be living as Christians. Like, even the way we read the Scriptures. And I spoke about this a few weeks ago. If all we're coming to the Bible for is information, 
you're missing sure what God wants to do through the Word of God. Because God wants to bring revelation. He wants to give you his vision. He wants to give you his perspective. That's why Paul says that in Christ we're seated in heavenly places. So you don't make decisions from six foot off the ground. Physically you may be here, but spiritually you're there. Because in Christ you've been lifted up to heavenly places. And when you're lifted up that high, you can see everything differently. You see every circumstance differently. You see every situation differently. You see, you see more clearly who you are in Christ, but it comes from this being sat in heavenly places, not on a chair in Magna Academy Hall. Your body may be here, but spiritually you're connected to heaven's perspective. So there is revelation awaiting you if you're willing to contend for revelation. It's important. Don't just settle for information. Like, doctrine is amazing and good doctrine is important, but it has to lead to revelation. We don't, we're not just people who have information. What's your information? My information is, is you've been a very naughty boy and you need Jesus to save you from your sins. That's the information, but revelation is this, is I understand like on the inside, what God has saved me from and what God has saved me to. It moves from the realm of information to revelation. And if you want to conquer sin in your day-to-day life, you need to begin to see yourself differently. That's why understanding that passage in 2 Corinthians 5 is really important. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Like, not just a souped-up version of the old thing, not just a slightly tweaked, modified version. It's like... I remember Phil Locke doing a talk on this when he was visiting. Um, he says it's like, the, it's, it's like the difference between a bike and a Ferrari. <laughs> it's not the difference between like a bike and a tandem. <laughs> it's not just like God's make you slightly longer and put an extra saddle on your back. It's like you've been completely transformed. Like the essence of who you are is changed forever. And that can only really be received through revelation because if you don't know who you are, You'll live according to the limits that the world says that you are. Young people, that's really important because the world will tell you, like, this, this is what life is. So on Instagram, you know, Sophie mentioned it this morning, the black hole of Instagram. You know, here's what you could have won. This beautiful house on, like, the California coast. Not that I'd want to live in America. Don't like being shot. Um, but, you know, it's, like, crazy because ultimately, like, what we do is in our carnality, we go, well, that must be the essence of life. We watch YouTubers who are driving like 17-year-old kids who have like Teslas and Ferraris and just like, you know, just rock up on YouTube and go, hey, followers, today I'm going to jump off a building and see if I survive, <laughs> you know. And it's like uh, everyone watches that and they get more money and they buy more cars and kids are watching this and they're just making some big assessments about life going, well, well that must be the best thing about life. Houses with pools. Like loads of options for different cars and, you know, in due course, girls and all these things because this is the world's discipleship. When I have revelation, I begin to understand what life is really about. It's not about building my life. It's about actually building the kingdom of God. It's about establishing his rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. There is no greater thing I can give my life to. Why? Because everything that we do down here impacts everything that happens in eternity. And that's why revelation is so important. We must operate. Like even in Romans 6, let me just read this. Paul says this, what shall we say then? And the context of Paul speaking here is he's just said at the end of Romans 5, he says, like, um, 
he says, like where sin increases, grace abounds. Okay? So if you do keep on sinning, there's enough grace to cover your sin. Okay, so if you keep making mistakes, like if you worship Jesus on a Sunday and you've really given your heart to him, but on a Monday it's not translating into your day-to-day lifestyle and you're still making stupid decisions, Paul says, you know what, where sin increases, grace abounds. In other words, your sin cannot outpeg the glory of grace. The grace of God is more than strong enough to cover your sins, okay, if you believe in the name of Jesus. But then he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? It's like Paul's in our head. It's like, brilliant, Paul. Well, surely, if I'm still good to kind of go to heaven and like Jesus still loves me the same, surely I can continue to sin because in many ways, I'm given an opportunity for God's grace to abound even more. And Paul says, well, what shall we, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And listen to the revelation. By no means we died to sin how can we live in it any longer? Now, if you were to unpick the Greek more accurately, it said, why would you want to live in it any longer? So the motivation for, and the revelation that Paul has for fleeing the life of sin is, is not because I need to be a good boy, but it's because true life is found in righteousness. Do you understand the difference? I hope I'm making sense. I fear I'm not. So I'm going to say it in a different way. Is that like, if we are under the impression that the, the, the funnest life, listen to this youth, the funnest life is going to be had in pursuing the world's way, we're basically being missold PPI. Because even though you can live that way and God's grace still abounds, We have died to sin, so why would we want to live in it any longer? Because the real life is living in the purposes of God, under the blessing of God. It's like a a decision we have to make with our life every single day. We need revelation. And we're going to explore that more in uh, small groups uh, this week. Um, But the second thing we need and this is what I started last week but just didn't really have time, is we need confession. We need confession. It's actually a gift, confession. When I talk about confession, I'm not talking about repentance. That's obviously a given. We come and we repent. I spoke about that last week. But I'm talking about confession where we share with one another our burdens. That sounded heavy. Our burdens. Our burdens. You know, that we share our burdens. That like one of the reasons that Christian community is so vitally important is because our Christian walk was never supposed to be done, just me and Jesus. It's supposed to be me, people, and Jesus. And one of the reasons that confession is important is this idea that like I'm struggling with this sinful habit. Let me like, can, can someone say maybe a sinful habit? Someone say something, say one? Greed. Okay, cool. So I, I feel greedy. I feel like I'm, I'm unable to tithe. I feel like I'm unable to share what God has blessed me with. And I want to keep it more. And I want to get more. And I want to multiply it more and more and more. I've got this greed issue. And so I come to the Father and I say, Lord, forgive me for my greed. And God is faithful and he forgives me for his greed. Yet on Monday, I'm still feeling inclined to be greedy. Do 
okay, now what I need to do is I need to bring a, because I'm a bloke, I want to bring a brother of Christ into my life. Adam, come up here, my man. Adam's my brother. I love Adam so much. He's an amazing guy. And I come and I say, Adam, like, I'm really struggling with being greedy. Have you got 20 pound? <laughs> I say, like, Adam, I, I've, I'm really struggling with being greedy. Or maybe it's a more sinister sin, one that we might be more ashamed of. Maybe it's like, um, uh, I've got to be really careful here. Like, I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't look at, Adam. Like, this is my situation. And it feels like, why would you tell anyone that? Well, the reason I'm telling him is because as I confess it and speak it to somebody, I feel like now, like, Satan has less of a grip on it. I I literally feel like I've disempowered hell going wild in my life. Because what was a secret over here between me, the devil, and God, I'm now bringing into the light of Christian community. And I'm saying, Adam, I'm struggling with greed. And what would you say? Don't do it. (laughs) That's That's a good one. That's a good I've been preaching for so many years, and Matthew never clapped anything I've said. But he says, don't do it. And you're like, that's an inspired message right there, Adam. Seriously. Don't do it. Well, for sure, we need that. But we'll come on to that. But actually, in this moment. Yeah, I could check up on you daily. Oh, man, you're on it. You are on it. And we're going to get there. But ultimately, what I just need to, this guy to do is to not judge me. I just need him to hear it. Because it's almost like, hey, Satan, you know this little secret we've got going on? Not anymore, loser. You know, bringing it into the light. In fact, look at 1 John 1, verse 5 to 10. You can sit down. Thanks, dude. 1 John 1, 5 to 10. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So this is the standard of God. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. So this context of this passage is community and fellowship. So he purifies us from all sin. If we go to verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Like, understand this, like when we pretend that we're all good in the hood, we're deceiving ourselves. When we come to church and we put our Sunday mask on, and we've been doing all kinds of heinous stuff over the last week, but we come to church and now Mr. Nice, you know, Dom, the nice guy, or whatever. And I'm not real with anybody. I'm deceiving myself. Because I can go back to verse 7 a minute. Because I love this idea that true fellowship happens. And at verse 6, actually. Nope, verse 8 then, please. The bit where it says one another. Okay, verse 9. Verse 10. Different gospel, clearly. Okay, anyways. There's somewhere in there. I remember reading it a minute ago. Richard, can you scour it? Because I don't have my Bible open at the page. Verse 7, thank you. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Like, fellowship is this deep connectedness. Like, sometimes we call stuff fellowship that isn't fellowship. Like, we might say, you want to play volleyball, have some fellowship. No, no, that's just a game. That's a sport. And you've got a cluster of people together on a court. And it's cool. And we're relating. And it can become fellowship. But fellowship is where you pitch Jesus at the center of your relationship with somebody else. And so it's this idea that like, when we begin 
to bring things into our light. Look at what it says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So there is something of an empowering that happens when we confess. And in verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. So if we confess our sins, there's a forgiveness in it. I'm not looking for forgiveness from Adam. I'm actually, I only need forgiveness from God. But as I confess it to Adam, I'm acknowledging that sin in a way that isn't just a case of lying down on my bed going, oh, this is really bad. Jesus, I'm sorry. But actually, no, I want to be free from this sin. So I want to bring it into the light. Confession is absolutely essential for that. Let me just give you four rules. And we'll talk about this in small group. If, if you need to confess to somebody, let me give you four things that you need to look for. Someone who is more godly than you. Okay? That's the first one. Someone who is more godly than you. And if you think, can't happen, then humility is one of the things you need to talk about. Okay? Okay, the second one is someone who is trustworthy. It's really important. So you're not looking for a gossip mouth or a judgy person. You know, where you go, I'm really struggling with this. You go, ooh, <laughs> that's gross. Okay, third one, someone who will pray for you. Someone who won't just hear it, but actually commit themselves to pray for you. And fourthly, someone who loves you. Those things are really important. Okay, and then the third and final thing, and we're going to jump through this quite quick. And this is the third strategy for overcoming sin, is accountability. What does accountability mean? It means to champion one another towards holiness. So what Adam was saying, this is what we're talking about. So confession is confessing our sins. Accountability is, okay, now what? What are we going to do? What measures and checks are we going to put in place to make sure that you stop sinning? So, for example, if I'm greedy and I come to Adam as someone I want to be accountable to, he might say, let me see your bank statement. There's a level of vulnerability and openness because now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm no longer just acknowledging that I'm sinful. I'm not just confessing that I'm sinful. I'm now saying I want to put things in my life, structures in my life that help me live differently to how I've been doing. And accountability is so important. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says... As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. How do you sharpen iron? You hit iron on iron. That's how you sharpen it. And so, like, in accountability, it's awkward at times because you need a bit of conflict. And in this society, you know, where we are raising buttercups and people who can't be offended and people who can't be challenged, you know, you actually need a brother or sister to get around you in your life and say, stop doing that. It's going to ruin your life. It's this iron sharp. What are you going to do about it? So, for example, if you're looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at, I know people have done this before. Every time, at the end of the day, it sends an email to their accountability partner to everything they've looked at on the computer. Imagine that. That'll make you think twice, won't it? When you go on Google. Like, ooh, okay, he's going to see that. Because accountability, those structures... That means that we are championing one another towards godliness is now affecting practically my Monday morning. I'm not just confessing it on a Sunday, so I'm not just repenting, confessing it. I'm now putting things into my life that is going to help me move towards the path of holiness. Listen to what Galatians 6, 1 to 3 says. It says, live creatively, friends. 
If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. Okay? You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed, share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. What does that mean? The law to love one another as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you are think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. In another translation, it says, like, encourage one another. Carry one another's burdens. You know, Anthony, like, Anthony asked me um, to, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. I'm not going to share anything personal. We've already, we already addressed your taxes, haven't we, this morning? So that's all good. Um, but Anthony said, oh, Dom, would you be able to, like, mentor me a little bit and coach me a little bit? And I'm like, yeah. And, I, you know, we caught up at Lounge One, and I don't think it was what he was expecting expecting to be. In fact, he said, I wasn't expecting it to be like this. And I says, what are the greatest struggles you have? What are, the, what are your great, greatest weaknesses? What is it you want to break the back of in your life? Like, what is it? What is it? Because, I mean, we can talk all day about pastoring, about preaching, and do all these kind of things, and go, well, you know, this is how you preach differently. Here's a structure that you might want to use. But if the brother is struggling with something, then let's deal with that. Let's put structures into his life. Now, Obviously, it was like an eight-hour-long meeting because the list was... No, it wasn't really. I was encouraged by Anthony's honesty, but also his desire for holiness. But, like, there's this sense for us that I just think, like... Like, that's, I, I guess ultimately, I don't know how it plays out, but what we need to do is identify people that we can be accountable to. And so here's some rules for people to look for. I say rules. I don't like that. Here's some guidelines, some helpful thoughts maybe. So you need to find someone you trust and respect. Proverbs 11.13 says, he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. In other words, they don't go, oh really? And go and tell someone else about it. Okay. The second point is this, someone with a track record of action and speech reflecting spiritual maturity. So it's this idea that like, is there a trajectory of godliness in their life? That's important. Here's the next one, and this is my, the way I've kind of given it language. Someone who will cut the mustard. In other words, like Proverbs 27, 6, where it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. So someone who will say, you've got to stop it right now. Someone who you're willing to hear that from and not go, I'm deleting you off Instagram. I'm unfollowing you, you turd. You know, it's just like, it's, you've got to be willing to receive Someone who says, this, this has got to stop. It's going to break your marriage. It's going to kill your parenting. It's going to hurt your children. It's going to ruin your life. And if, if someone can't say that to you, then A, you might need some prayer, but B, also, you might need some new friends. <clears throat> Fourth point is, it's different to confession, so you make a plan and keep checking in. So, okay, what are we going to do to conquer that? And then fifth, someone who loves you. Now, we're going to talk about this more in small group this week. We're going to explore. Maybe you've got some other ideas as to people we should be looking for. But ultimately, I guess what I'm trying to champion today is a strategy that helps you break the back of sin in your life. Because even though you sin, it doesn't mean that God's finished with you. But it means that God's got more for you. God's got a better way for you. God's got a blessed life for you. He's got a preferred future for you. He doesn't want you to live in sin. As Paul says, you've died to sin. Why would you want to live in it any longer? So I appreciate that maybe that felt more seminary, but like I just want to empower you guys to kind of get past your sin so much. Like if, 
if more of us in this room are pursuing godliness with a fire in our gut, like the worship in this place would just lift the roof. Like if there is just a yearning like that, as the psalmist says, you know, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul, it hungers, man. It thirsts for you, God. Like if, there's, if that's not true for us, but rather I hunger, I thirst for a beer or I hunger for Netflix or I crave a like on Instagram. Like those are the things that are feeding my soul. That when we come together, it's not like this glorious sense of fellowship that God wants us to get. I feel like anguish about it. I feel like, come on. Pursue godliness. Become like Christ. Receive his, his grace and also his mercy. Yes, get revelation. But let's confess those things that have gripped our heart for too long. And like if you think, well, I'm actually doing all right. Trust me, there's sin in your life that you need to confess. Trust me. Trust me, there are always things because the path gets narrow. Until you are like Christ, you're not done. You're not done. That's what sanctification is, becoming more like Christ. And so I know there are attitudes in you that need to be grappled with, repented of, confessed. I know there are habits in you that need to be stopped, that need to just be cut off so that you can walk in the fullness of God. And if we can move towards this preferred future, it sounds exciting, doesn't it? It's where things happen. It's where revival really happens because it's not just a prayer meeting that is exciting. It's like a community of godly people, like wanting to see the kingdom of God established. It's different. It's not just like a praise party, like on a Sunday night. It's like, no, I'm going to make different decisions tomorrow. I'm going to work harder than I've ever worked. You know, I'm going to pray for my boss like half an hour a day. I'm just just so hungry to see you move. And I just want to be free from this sinful nonsense. At the end of that passage in Romans 7, like Paul asked this question, how can I be saved from this mess? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Savior. Like it's Jesus, it's Jesus. I want that. I want that for us. I want it for you. I want it for your spouse. I want it for your children. A community pursuing godliness with passion. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. You're a good God. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that even though this may have been boring for some and maybe offensive for others, God, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just sow the seed where it needs to be sowed, Lord God. Put it into our hearts, Lord God. God, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be good soil this morning to receive the challenge and the provocation that you want to put in. God, we don't just want to sleep through this life. We don't just want to be apathetic and lethargic and just go, oh, you know, sell a V, what will be, what it is, it is. We don't want that. Jesus, we want you. We want to pursue you. We want to live a life that glorifies you. And Father, we know, God, that you want us to throw off all those things that entangle us, sin that just prevents us from moving forward. And so, God, this morning, I pray for a greater sense of burden to that end. In Jesus' name, help us to have revelation. Help us to confess and help us to become accountable to one another and champion one another towards godliness. And all God's people said, Amen.